Tonight we're in Psalm 85 and we're going to look at the kiss of God. God's love shown toward us as we look at Psalm 85. And the, I'm going to ask you to stand when you find that. I'm just going to read the entire psalm. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath, turned away from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God our Savior. Put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to His people, His saints. But let them not return to folly. Surely His salvation is near those who fear Him, that His glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness brings forth from the, springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before Him and prepares the way for His steps. Uh, Lord, thank You that we can be together tonight. And Father, as we look at Your Word, uh, Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You, Father, that at times it's clear we're not lovable, but You have chosen to kiss us with righteousness and peace. Lord, uh, just speak, remind us. In Your name we pray. Amen. I know when I was younger there was a chorus. Many of you probably heard it. Uh, it's First John four seven and eight, and of course that was the way I ended up learning that scripture. And, Beloved, let us love one another. It's hard not to sing it, but miss the key. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knoweth God. He who loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And then it goes First John four seven and eight. And, uh, love is connected to God. We see facets of His love with romantic love that causes our hands to sweat, our hearts to pound, a loss of sleep and appetite and all of that. There is storge, which is the love we have for family. Love that parents have for their kids and kids for their parents and twin brothers and brothers and sisters. Uh, a family bond. Uh, there is phileo love, which is the love you have with a friend. Friendship. But the love that's ultimate love in its purest sense is agape love, which means unconditional love. It's a love that says, I love you. Too many times love is, I love you but, or I love you if, but agape love simply says, I love you. Regardless of how you treat me, I'm going to love you. It, it's the way God loves us. It's the way He reaches out to us. It says in Proverbs 19.22, What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. We want to know that somebody loves us. We desperately want to know that we count. That we matter. And beautifully, the Scriptures tell us that. 
over and over. Uh, had an interesting story to tell you that happened uh, today. Lydia called and talked to Cindy, I mean, Cindy for a while, and uh, there's a missionary on campus at Bluefield who uh, was missionary in China for years, and Lydia's got to be friends with her and goes by and talks to her a lot. Well, anyway, this lady came by to see the missionary, whose name is Lynn, and she said, I read in the newspaper, there's this girl in the newspaper named Lydia Freeman, and my granddaughter is named Lydia Freeman, and I've been thinking, I want to meet this Lydia Freeman, since my granddaughter's named Lydia Freeman. So, Lynn told Lydia about it, and this morning, Lynn and Lydia went to this lady's church which neither normally go to. And they sat with Lou. And her Lydia Freeman has curly red hair. And, of course, our Lydia Freeman has red hair. And so they immediately became friends. And she said, Oh, honey, let me take you out to eat after church. So she went out to eat with her. And uh, they had a good time. And then she said something. Lydia said, This is kind of strange, but it was so sweet. She said, Honey, I'm so sorry that you are a senior and about to graduate. If I had known that you had been here this long, you could have been coming over to my house and we could have been making cookies together and you could have been my granddaughter. Oh, that is sweet. You know, how, how good that must have made her feel. And what a wonderful surprise when, when we find somebody that just reaches out to you and says, you know, I care about you. Uh, I happen to look at my phone actually before I got up here because I want to make sure the thing doesn't go off. You know, I remember one time my phone went off. My sister was calling me. She forgot it was church. And the next week she actually had to speak at some convention in Las Vegas. So I asked her, I said, what time is that convention? So I, I can call. But anyway, uh, I happened to check. There was a you know an email. So what is this? And I picked up and a guy I haven't seen since... Early, well, middle 80s. I get this email, and it's from his wife. He said, I just married this guy. He's been talking about you. He wants to get back in touch with you. You mean all this to him? And I'm like, whoa, where did all this come from? These surprises of God's love and His grace. It just reminds us, because you know, we want to feel like we matter to somebody, right? And of course, ultimately, we know we matter to our God. But let's look here. I want to look at the Scripture here at a couple of truths. Um, 1 John 4.19 tells us, We love because He first loved us. You know, that's always such a great comfort. Because at times, all of us beat ourselves up, and at times we all feel so inadequate, and the truth is we are. But... (laughs) God loving us is not dependent upon our performance. It's dependent upon His finished work, Calvary. And um, the sooner we come to that, the better off we are. Look at verse 5, though. He says, Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? People think God is angry at them. God is not angry at you. God sent His Son in order to mend the fences. 
in order to make things right. He wants to restore you. His heart is to fix you in a way that you might know His peace and you might know His righteousness and you might be made whole. But what we've got to understand is before that happens, we have to understand that we need to be made whole. We have to understand that we are broken. (laughs) And uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, it gives us just a clearer picture of our condition without Jesus Christ. It starts out in chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also... lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So, you know, the idea is, hey, before you look at that guy and say, man, he is a lowlife, or she is just really messed up. It says that was your condition. And and look at this this last sentence here. He says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What a harsh terminology. There was a separation, and and the separation, it was the result of sin. It was the fact that we were spiritually without life. That's that's what disconnected us. That's what separated us. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, if you look in our culture, the word sin has all but disappeared. Uh, For some, there's the idea of redefining the terms. Um, People don't sin, they make mistakes. They fall short. I'm only human. Um, We hear those kind of phrases. But what we don't hear is, I'm a sinner. What we don't hear is, um, I need a Savior. Dr. Carl Menninger, he wrote a book years ago called Whatever Became of Sin. And in it, he made the point that as psychiatry became more and more popular, the terms began to change. Years ago, homosexuality was considered to be an aberrant behavior. It it was considered to be wrong. It was considered to be a psychiatric condition. Now our culture has swung to the point where those who do not full-heartedly embrace homosexuality have a psychiatric condition. They're considered a homophobe. Now as that moves on, um, our society continues to drift and, you know, there's no such thing as personal responsibility and a need to change because sin's been taken out. Or there are those who just lower their standards. Sin is always something below how you live. Like Bette Midler who said, I have standards, they may be low, but I have them. And the picture here is of society where those standards continue to drop. And the truth of the matter is, how far will they drop? As we look at how things have changed in, as I mentioned, homosexuality and the way that homosexuality is viewed, it's not merely homosexuality, but what is the next step? Where will the standard lower? There are already those uh, who are in the cultural eye who say that the homosexuality is part of your DNA makeup, and to follow that same train of thought than a pedophile, those who abuse children are just born that way. And you should just view them as people who just are born that way. It's not a sin. 
is you take sin out, there's no need to repent. Um, as it moves forward. Uh, thirdly, it may shift the blame to someone else. You know, people say, I've done bad, but you ought to see my neighbor <laughs> or my wife or, or my husband or, or my boss. Uh, always someone else to blame. And if it wasn't for that person, I'd be such a better person. Or if I'd have had that opportunity, I would have been such a better person. It's, it's not my fault. You know, that would be like a person... Um, who has a very sharp pains and knows something is wrong, starts coughing up blood, uh, uh, just begins showing some distressing symptoms, but says, you know, I'm not going to the doctor. There's no way I'm going to the doctor because if I go to the doctor, he may diagnose me and say, you're going to die. So I'm not going to go to the doctor because I don't want anybody telling me I'm going to die. But the truth of the matter is, you will die eventually. But you may speed it up if you are not willing to get treatment for what you have. Um, you have to deal with what's there before you can get better. And with sin, to just ignore sin and just say, it's somebody else's fault, or, or hey, look, you know, compared to that other person, or, or you know, the, the picture is that, um, you know, this really is, is uh, I'm just like everybody else. That's not the issue, because the issue is the standard is not you guys. The standard is the holy God. God is holy, and, and God is righteous, and, and uh, we need Him. And there is this disease called sin that is going to separate us for all of eternity. And right smack in the middle of sin, and we say the same thing about pride, is the letter I. But in a good way, we actually begin to find healing when we're able to use I in that positive manner and to be able to say, I have sinned. It's my fault. My problem. My guilt. My shame. That's when healing can start. When I'm willing to take the responsibility, when I'm willing to let God speak to me honestly. You know, David said in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, I, I'm inviting your Holy Spirit to shine on me that I may really see the ugly truth so that, Father, you may be able to lead me in the right direction. Now, this is God at work. This is true worship when we're able to see things from His point of view. Now, I want to take a minute. This is from Hosea 13 verse 2, which is the opposite viewpoint. It is when um, God is not the focus of worship, but when we make idols to worship in its place. Hosea 13, 2 says, Now they sin more and more and make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifice and kiss the calf idols. Well, notice here it, as it talks about with idols, they are the ones who make the idols. They're the ones who cleverly fashion the idols. They're the ones who offer uh, a kiss to those calf idols. 
So it's turned around where it's not the worshiper worshiping, but it's the worshiper creating the idol, creating the God, being in charge and and turning to a false God and, and missing God's blessing in their lives. You see, for us, it's, it's, it's not about what we do. It's not about what we accomplish. It's not even about what we give. It, it's about receiving His gift. It's, it's about responding to His grace. That's where the difference is. Because we simply can't do enough or give enough or be enough to earn salvation. The Bible's clear on that. Back in 2006, Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, Bill Gates Foundation up. So much money has been given and there has you know, there's been a lot of good result from that money. But Buffett had uh, donated to that cause thirty seven billion dollars. Now I can't even imagine what well thirty seven billion dollars would can't go there, but anyway he donated that and he made this remark to Bill Gates. <laughs> he said there is more than one way to get to heaven but this is a great way. So in his mind, that sacrifice of $37 billion was going to pay for his ticket to be punched to eternal life, to glory, to God. Yes, surprise right here. And, you know, and I guess the point with all of this uh, that I'm going to share is if you think it's the amount of money, how do you know you've ever given enough money? Or if it's the amount of being good, how do you know you've ever been good enough? You know, I used to think, what is that like? Does it mean like there's a giant scale in heaven? And you know, if, if you're good, you're this way. If you're bad, this way. You know, what happens? Am I going to tip? And it's all, you know, and then it all falls out, and then I'm really in trouble. Uh, but I mean, you know, is there this balancing act? There's never security there. That there's never a sense of I'm safe if it is totally based on me being good enough, me doing enough good works, there's just not a confidence that comes from that. Or the idea of, you know, I'll pay off my sins. You know, I have to sit in some holding tank until I pay off my sins, enter in, enter in a glory. Uh, there's no confidence in that. But if you think about it, grace is all sufficient. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, what did He say? He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. In other words, the price was paid in full. Heaven was completely ours because of His work. It doesn't come by doing. It comes from what He's done. And what we're called to do is simply agree with Him. To come forward with Him and say, I'm a sinner. This is my condition. But you're a bigger Savior than I am a sinner. And so I will take your saving work into my life and find that hope. And you know, people will say, what if I'm just not good enough to get to heaven? And they just don't understand. And I've said to you guys many times, because I have heard you, probably at least three or four times I've heard people say, I've talked to them about God. I couldn't go to church. If I went to church, the roof would fall down. Because you just don't know how bad I am. I'm thinking, oh, none of us know how bad each of us are, right? So, <laughs> except God. But the point um, of the matter is, it's not about how good or bad you are. It's about Jesus. 
That's why I love the prodigal son. And I think God gives us that story of the lost son, the prodigal son, just to remind us that no matter how far away we run, he's always running to us. Um, you know, think about that story. You know, you got this young man, and he says, Dad, I need my money now. Life is passing me by. I'm not going to be around forever. I've got to go live it up. There's no sense for that money just to be sitting there going to waste. And so he takes his money, he goes out, and life is one big party. He enjoys everything he thinks will be fun, everything he thinks will satisfy him, everything that will give him a thrill or a buzz or, you know, exciting. And, of course, we know the story. He ends up totally broke, and that's when his friends are gone, and he's by himself. And, of course, for a Jew, the worst possible place he could do is eating with pigs. You know, eating the pig food. And the Bible says it's beautiful. Well, turn me to Luke 15 uh, as I recount this story. Um, I love that verse 17. It says, When he came to his senses. In other words, it just hit him. I can go home. But he says, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He was convinced what? I have done so much bad stuff that God will never really receive me or love me. I just have nowhere else to go. Isn't it sad that so many people don't end up back to God until they say, I have nowhere else to go? I love this next part, though. It's so beautiful. Verse 18, he says, uh, or verse, let's see, not 18, but verse 20. So he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So as he was coming to his father, his father took off running to him. Hey, sin was never meant to be something that God intended to separate us forever. He sent Jesus to restore, to bring us back together. And if you look at Psalm 85, verse 10, he says, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. As, as, as the father ran toward that lost son, and as he embraced him and kissed him, it was a kiss that said, I love you. It was a kiss that says, Hey, I am faithful to you, even though you've not been faithful to me. I am here for you. And my righteousness, my righteousness and peace are yours. Now, that's what the gospel's about. That's what Jesus provides. He gives us God's righteousness and God's peace. That's the gift of of Jesus Christ that's provided to us that's spoken of here in Psalm 85 that tells us about His kiss that tells us about His love the Pharisees uh, tradition says had an alternate story 
said that that son came back, and uh, you remember uh, he started to say, I, you know, Father, I failed you, and, and then the father said, we're going to throw a bash for this boy. and <laughs> Bring out the fatted calf, bring out the robe, bring out the ring. He's my son. You know, we've got to celebrate because he was lost, now he's found, now he's back, he's home. He's restored. But the Pharisees had a different story. It said he came home and his dad said to him, that serves you right. You got exactly what you deserve and you're right. You aren't worthy to be called my son. I'll put you to work. And if you can prove you've changed, maybe, just maybe, I'll let you back as my son. Isn't it wonderful to know that's not God's attitude. That's not God's attitude. Uh... I close with uh, this story. It's from Steve and Kathleen Montforte from Laurel Springs, New Jersey. They went to see the Phillies in the Nationals play a baseball game. And, uh, and they were having a great time. They were they were sitting there and um, uh, Steve leaned over when a foul ball was hit by Jason Worth, an uh, outfielder for the Phillies. And amazing thing, he caught the ball made a great grab. Of course, he was cheering and dancing and having a big time. And everybody around him was celebrating. And he turned uh, to his wife and his three-year-old daughter, and he put the ball in his three-year-old daughter's hand. And she goes, yay! And it, of course, falls, and he's like, ugh. And, you know, you could hear fans around just going, oh. and the little girl started to cry. I mean, she didn't know a lot, but she knew, you know, I've disappointed Daddy somehow. But his response was classic. Instead of, you know, saying something to her harshly or anything, he just picked her up and kissed her and said, Daddy loves you. That's the attitude of God. Look, God hates sin. He wants us to get our lives together. But he doesn't hate me. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we've taken some time looking at your love and your gospel. And yet, Father, you do call us to turn your direction. You do want us to follow you. But it's not because you want to punish us. It's because you know that we hurt ourselves when we don't agree with you and we don't follow you. And Father... You have kissed us with your righteousness and peace that's come together in Jesus Christ. And at the moment we trusted you and rested in you, Father, we got that special kiss from you. Righteousness and peace all wrapped up in one as a gift that lasts forever. Father, we need to be reminded of that. And Father, as we are reminded that we have been kissed, we need to go out and we need to let other people know that that's who you are and you love them, and although they feel worthless, and although they feel defeated, you have a different view, and you have a different plan, and you want them to have life and have it to the full. You want them to know what it means to be received. You want them to know what it means to follow you and to trust you. And Father, as we come to time of invitation, maybe there's someone here who, Father, just never has quite understood that, that you love them with total love and 
Well, that's what Jesus is about. And you say, receive that. Open up your heart and say, you know, it's not anybody else's fault. I'm a sinner. I need to trust you, God. And at the moment we do that and say, Jesus, enter my life, then we get that special kiss of righteousness and love that just fill us. And Father, uh, I, I just pray. Maybe there's someone here that needs to receive that gift. And Father, there's a bunch of us here who have received the gift. Help us, Lord, to uh, not leave it in the box wrapped up, but to unwrap the gift and let the gift of Jesus flow through our lives that other people might understand your love, Lord. That there's no boundaries to it. And that, Father, you want to run toward them, not away from them. You, you don't want them to live in their sin. There's just too much more there. You provide life. And, Father, give us that kind of heart to see people as you see them, Lord, and to love them that way. And, Father, as we've been able to look at your word, um, thank you, Father, for your truth. Father, uh, thank you for loving us completely. And help us to look at other people. They need to know that. Thank you for this time, Lord. Altars open. Speak to us. Uh, bring us as you choose. Uh, it's all about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where real love is found. In the world. So may, we, may we just live in that love. In your name we pray. Amen.